This recording is a ministry of Grace Bible Church of Pleasant Hill, California. We want to thank you for listening and invite you to visit us each Lord's Day on our campus located at 40 Cleveland Road, Pleasant Hill, California, or at any time at gbcph.org. Beautiful sort of uh, set, setting is given to what we're going to hear this morning. So let's refine our thoughts and think about what it means to be hated by the world but loved by God and the great difference that means. If you're able to remain standing, please do. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you can open it to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. If you care to use the Black Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 972. For those of you joining us today, we began a study in the book of Galatians, and this was a letter written by the Apostle Paul in response to the fact that he had received news that some Jewish teachers had arrived at several churches that he had labored so hard to start. And though they said that belief in Jesus as Messiah was essential, they said that was not enough. You need to add to your faith in Jesus the law of Moses, circumcision, and other sorts of things. So Paul's writing in response to that. And this morning we're looking at verse 10, just one verse. Last week we looked at verses 6 through 9. Let's read God's word from verse 1 down through verse 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May God bless it to each of your hearts. Have a seat. In his commentary, uh, Dr. Timothy George says about verse 10, and maybe you could feel it. He says, Paul's emotions are seething just beneath the surface of the text. <laughs> you can feel his emotions boiling underneath what he says here in verse 10. And I think it's understandable because these false teachers had not only distorted the gospel, but they'd also attacked Paul's motivations why he preaches 
what he preaches. That always hurts, doesn't it? When people think they know why you're doing something. When people pretend they have the eyes of God they can see in your heart and they, they judge your motivations and they criticize you as having a certain agenda. And so that's what was happening with Paul. You can, we don't know exactly what they said, but you can imagine the kinds of things that it seems clear that they were saying about Paul, you know. Why do you think Paul omits circumcision when he preaches? Huh? Yeah, he makes no mention of the law of Moses when he preaches Christ crucified. I think Paul's just a man pleaser. Yeah, he's kind of a, like a changeling preacher, you know, a little chameleon. Yeah, I heard, I heard that he had this one guy named Timothy circumcised, but then this other guy, Titus, not. Yeah, I think Paul just suits his message to whatever crowd that he's in front of, right? He's sort of a uh, spiritual spin doctor, suiting the message to, to his audience. And so Paul's aim in, in verse 10 is to set the record straight and to deny accusations that in preaching the gospel, that salvation comes about by grace alone, received through faith alone, in the dying and doings of Christ alone, that somehow in his preaching this gospel, his real aim, his real motive is to be liked by people, <laughs> to please people, to, to, to have friends. And so he, he, he writes verse 10 to set the record straight. And he does so, you might notice, he does so by two rhetorical questions and then followed by a conditional contrary to fact sentence. And the first rhetorical question is, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? The second clarifies a little bit the first, or am I trying to please man? And then that last conditional contrary to fact sentence or statement, he says, listen, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ, which is what I am, because he goes on from verse 11, we'll see next week, to demonstrate how he's been serving Christ in what he has been preaching. The question is, how does verse 10 exactly fit in? Because you notice, beloved, if you look down, you notice verse 10 begins with the connective word for. You notice that? For am I now seeking the approval of man? And so, you know, different Greek texts and different translations and, and publishers organize it differently. You know, some think it should conclude what he's been saying. That's how the ESV has it here. Some put it as beginning the next section, and some think it's just sort of a, a standalone verse. I think the ESV and other translations here, I think New American Standard is the same, has it correctly. And I think what it's best to see the word for that as depending on on his line of thought that he's been talking about already. In other words, he's drawing a conclusion from verses six through nine. It's almost like a, like a therefore. And I think what supports that is the word now, that little word now, now in what I'm saying. Uh, I think that's what Paul is trying to get across. Let me, li listen to it this way. Let me read it in this way. What I'm asking you to hear is how Paul makes these strong statements, right? of condemnation, and then he asked the questions, how it's flowing towards that. So I'll over-accentuate it a little bit. 
He says, verse 8, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Remember what that word anathema means. Let that person suffer the condemnation of the wrath of God. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be anathema. Let him be accursed. Now, do I sound to you like I'm trying to please man? <laughs> do I sound like a man pleaser to you in what I have just said? Do I sound like I just finished reading How to Win Friends and Influence People? Is that what you think of me? Listen, if I were still trying to please man, still meaning as I did in my former rabbinical life, I would not be a servant of Christ, which I am. That's what Paul's saying here. Well, I hope you hear it in that sense. You see. Now it's clear that this verse has direct application to people like me. Anyone who's called to be a pastor, anyone who's called to preach or teach and represent the word of God and say this is the word of the Lord or this is the gospel, it has direct application to us, right? Pastors face many temptations to alter the message, as Paul says, to tickle men's ears in 2 Timothy, right? Uh, and that can happen not only in the pulpit, it can happen also in counseling settings and what have you, right? And for some, the temptation takes the form of, of refusing to preach hard truths, you know, that might offend certain people. So we'll skip chapter 9 here of Romans, and we'll jump right over to chapter 12. For others, it takes the form of saying things in a certain way in order to win the approval or maintain the approval of key people in the church, maybe wealthy people. Early years of the church, I had uh, a couple sit down with me and say, don't you realize how much we give to the church? in their attempt to sway something. I was glad to say, I have absolutely no idea how much you give to the church, and it doesn't matter how much you give to the church. That's another story. <laughs> so it has direct application, right? It's obvious. But what may not be so obvious to you is that the text really has deep relevance for every single Christian. Because people-pleasing, being a man-pleaser is a danger for every believer. Not only can it distort the gospel in the pulpit, but it can cause you to hold back on what the gospel says in your own ministry to people, speaking to people. And so people-pleasing can undermine, if we put it that way, the advance of the gospel and where you could be taking it. But not only that, not only that, being a people-pleaser enslaves us. And Christ has set us free. It enslaves us to what others think of us. And that's a common virus a lot of us have. Right? So what's the solution? Well, that's what the whole book of Galatians is about, so we will emphasize it at the end. But the question right at the beginning is simply, are we trying to please man or please God? Are you trying to please man or please God in your speech, your ambitions, 
your life. We know Paul wasn't. <laughs> and next week he'll, tell us, he'll show us how he wasn't. The question is, where are we? And so what I'd like to do with verse 10 this morning is frame our time together with two principles, I think, that emerge from what Paul's saying. The first is you cannot please both people and God at the same time when it comes to the gospel. And when it comes to the content of the gospel, you see, Paul assumes here it cannot be both in his first rhetorical question. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. Now, are there ways and are there times when we can do things that are pleasing to both people and to God? Well, absolutely. You could show mercy and grace and compassion to people. It should please them, and that pleases God too. But that's really not Paul's main subject here. That's not what Paul's getting at. He's getting at here his communication of the gospel in its content regardless of the audience, regardless of who is listening to him, who is hearing him. That's, that's his main subject here. If you want to hear sort of a summary of Paul's outlook about how he viewed his ministry with the gospel to whoever is listening to him, we could turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, a few pages on the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning right at verse 1, <clears throat> writing back to the church at Thessalonica, a bit later in Paul's life, Paul says, You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul says, You know what happened when I came to you. We had already been beaten up. And yet we had the courage, we had the boldness to c communicate the same gospel that got us beat up over there. Right there with you. In the midst, he says, of conflict, we had the courage to keep preaching Christ crucified. He says, for our appeal, verse 3, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. I'm not trying not to be a spin doctor, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, here it is, not to please man, but to please God who tests our heart. He says, I know every time I speak that God is the one who's testing my heart, the whys and wherefores of my sayings. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek, here it is, glory from people. We weren't after the adulations of people. We didn't want everyone to love us, whether from you or from others, he said. Period. So there's, that's Paul's outlook. That's Paul's framework, he says. And that's what he's talking about in Galatians when he says, am I trying to, <laughs> you really think I'm trying to please man? Do you know what I've been through? <laughs> because of this gospel? In verse 11, he'll start next week. Let me tell you how, what I've been through because of this gospel, you see. So just for the sake of clarity, when is it compatible to please both man and God? 
Because Paul uses the same phrases elsewhere. And some of you know that. You know that Paul says, I, I please man, I please people. You're saying, well, wait a minute. What's Paul doing? Does he talk out of both sides of his mouth? Let's clarify what he means by that. Here's a few contexts. Romans 15, 1 and 2. Paul says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. The context there is the church. Let each of us please his neighbor in the church for his good to build him up. That's when you can please others and it'll please God, which is a, what? Pleasing them in order to build them up. So that must involve the truth. It must involve edifying them with the truth. That's one. Another one begins right after 1 Corinthians 10.31, which is a verse a lot of you know because it's, uh, it's, it's verses that you've memorized. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, what's the next part say? Do all to the glory of God. Most of us know that verse, but then he goes on and says, give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do. And if that's all you heard, you'd say, there he is again. Over here he says, I'm not a man pleaser. Here he says, I try to please everyone in everything that I do. Let's read on, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. So Paul says, now listen, I please them in as much as it becomes a vehicle for the opportunity that they would receive the gospel. I don't just please them however. Right? So you have to read all these verses together and keep these things clear in your mind. I think part of what happened in Paul's experience, again, is these accusations that these teachers were making is that it seems that he suits the message uh, to different groups of people. Because Paul, you know, Paul said something that is important that we should go there too in 1 Corinthians 9. This is one of those well-known sections. He says in verse 19, you can see how it connects to Galatians. He says, though I am free from all, Galatians, Christ set us free, right? Though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave, a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, Gentiles, right? I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. He says, here it is, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. You see. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, Christ has set me free just as Christ has set you all free. But I'm willing, I am willing to set aside my liberty to any extent, apart from offending God, I'm willing to set it aside. To not place some, needlessly place some obstacle for the gospel, you know. So Paul didn't show up to bar mitzvahs, you know, bragging about his pork luncheon. 
Why bring that up? Why put obstacles, he says. So that's why he had Timothy circumcised. Not because he thought that it was necessary for Timothy to be right with God, to be justified, but because he was taking Timothy with him into synagogues where he'd be preaching. And that would be an obstacle. And with Timothy said, I'm willing to do it. Bless his heart. <laughs> and so this is what Paul's getting at in, 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 in Galatians. He says, I don't aim to please man and please God at the same time when it comes to what? The gospel. I, I aim to please God when it comes to the gospel. You can't serve two, two masters, you see. The gospel is not designed to, to, to please people outside the faith. It's designed to save people, to rescue them. But in order to rescue them, they need to face the reality that they need rescuing. <laughs> and so the gospel, the message of the cross, is an offense. And Paul says, I didn't hold back on preaching, though I could see in people's eyes how offended they were when I would preach and I'd say, you are dead in your trespasses and your sins. <laughs> when I say to them, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that includes you. And when I say, there's none righteous. No, not one. Not you. Not you. You see, he goes, I didn't hold back on that. I understand the gospel is offensive. And the message of the cross is offensive because to the Jews it says your Messiah hung on a tree, hung on a cross. And they say, that's a stumbling block. How can our Messiah hang on a tree when the law says cursed is any man who hangs on the tree? And, and to the Greeks, those who love philosophy and logic, uh, it, it's foolishness to say you need to be saved. The only way to be saved is believing in this Jewish man that was crucified publicly naked by the Romans who then was raised from the dead. They say that's moronic. And so Paul says, but I still preached it. Because the message of the cross, though it's foolishness to some and, and it's a stumbling block to others, is the only power of God unto salvation for those who believe. And so no, I'm not a man pleaser. And today, Many of us, or most of us, won't find ourselves in a synagogue, standing up, <laughs> preaching the gospel. But you understand that the gospel is offensive in other ways today because of its, its exclusivity. You are telling people there's only one way to be reconciled to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by or through me. You are saying to people who believe in other religions or believe in their own self-righteousness that the only way, the only way to be set right before God is to set aside all their efforts, all their self-justification and trust exclusively in the dying and the doings of a man named Jesus of Nazareth and believe that it was their guilt that crucified him and that he was later raised from the dead, you see. That's not pleasing to the world. And we are tempted to soften the message, but there's no hope apart from the cross, right? right? So 
we stay committed to, to the preaching of the cross. Really, the Judaizers, the Judaizers, these false teachers were the real man-pleasers. And on the surface, I can see someone saying, well, they're the man, they were man-pleasers? Personally, hearing I need, as a, as a grown man, to be circumcised in order to be right with God, and then tell my family we all have to keep the law of Moses in order to be right, I'm not very pleased with that. Well, yeah, but see, that's not your context. And there is something very natural for us, and what is this, that... They were, what were they doing? They, these false teachers, these Galatians false teachers, were appealing to a basic human desire in all of us for self-righteousness, self-justification. That's the basis of all human religion, you see. We all have an innate human desire to see oneself, ourself, as morally better than others and therefore deserving of a little grace, a little something from God. And so they were the real man-pleasers because they were tickling that. And amazingly, that's why Paul says, I'm astonished. (laughs) You're actually starting to swallow this. You really believe this. After Christ was placarded for you, I'm astonished that you're so quickly ready to walk away from this salvation by grace and begin to embrace this thing. The true gospel then, beloved, remember, the true gospel is about how God rescues us through Christ's actions alone, the benefits of which are fully received forever by means of faith alone which is itself the gift of grace alone. That's the true gospel. The true gospel, the true gospel says something has happened so that you may be saved. Not something has to happen and you have to do it that you might be saved. No, the gospel is a declaration that Something has been done, and the one who's done it is the judge himself. So rest assured. That's good news. Hear it again. What is good news? Something has been done. It's been finished, said Christ. Not something has to be done by you. But humble yourself. Admit you need it. And receive the gift of grace, eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. And so, it's one or the other. You can't have both, right? You can't say something's happened, but you still need to make something happen. <laughs> no, it's, it's one or the other. You can't serve two masters. In the gospel, we can't try to please both people and God. There is but one way, and that way is through faith in Christ. Now the second affirmation or principle that arises in this one verse comes from a combination of that second rhetorical question and then that that statement he makes following it. Back to Galatians chapter 1. In verse 10 he says, Or am I trying to please man? 
In other words, he's saying, that's what I'm getting at here. If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here's what Paul is saying to you and me, that the servants of Christ must aim to please God. Now, Paul was a servant of Christ in a very particular sense, wasn't he? He began the letter with what? Paul, an apostle. He's making it clear. And an apostle, not through some council, but what? Not through men, nor from men, but through Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. In other words, what he said, what was he saying? I saw him. I'm an eyewitness to the resurrection. Now, Paul was a, so Paul was a servant of Christ in a way that you and I are not. And that word servant is the word doulos, a bond servant, a slave. It's estimated more than a million and a half people were, in, were slaves in the Roman Empire at the time of Paul. Uh, and so they understand what he's getting at because to be a bond servant was to belong to someone. It was to be at the disposal of someone. And Paul and Peter and James, when you read their writings, they all apply that word doulos to themselves, but Paul applies it to Christians. He does so in Romans chapter 6. He does so in Ephesians 6. He says, we are Christ's doulos. We are his servants. We belong to a, another. Without using the word, what does Paul say elsewhere? He says, you've been purchased, right? You've been bought with a price. From Peter, we heard, we've been bought through the precious blood of Christ. So we're all servants of Christ. We need to set aside the idea that this is only applying to Paul or it only applies to pastors. Uh, in certain ways, yes. I mean, in specific ways, yes. But really, it applies to all of us. That we need to make it our aim as servants of Christ. I say again, that's what you are. You're a Christian. You've been purchased, bought at a price. You're at God's disposal. He has you where he wants you. He, he leaves you, takes you, places you where he wants you. He does things through you. He, he has plans for you. You serve him, but this needs to be an awareness in your mind, right? You are a servant of Christ, and therefore, you must make it your aim, your ambition to please him and not please man because you're going to face that test every single day. Back and forth, right? There's many dangers to being a people pleaser. People pleasers yield to pressure. I get it. People pleasers try to serve two masters, but you can't. <laughs> They'd rather compromise biblical convictions than have important, influential people in their lives look on them with disapproval. You would have thought that maybe Paul felt that way. But no. He calls them to stand their ground, but he does so because he did. He stood their ground, his ground. In chapter 2, Paul says some uh, false brothers secretly came in and were trying to put, the, uh, put those chains again uh, of, of Judaism upon them. In verse 5, he says, To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment. <laughs> He said, I didn't give in to them for one second. No matter how hard they tried to convince me. Why? So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Because what would people think? Well, maybe, maybe the gospel is not as Paul said that he himself 
he himself started doing that again. He started living like a Jew, you know, and started, it sounds like it's required. So Paul says, I don't give in to pressures because I'm trying to preserve the purity of the message. The people pleasers will give in to pressure. People pleasers will also hesitate to confront heresy, false doctrine, or bad teaching that could, uh, that could be harmful to others. You know. But Paul confronted Peter to his face. And he writes about it in Galatians, remember? Because Peter <laughs> would, ju- would jump back to the other side of the fence, you know? Verse 11, chapter 2, when Cephas, that's Peter, when he came from Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And he says, I, 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 I challenged his hypocrisy. But people pleasers will never do that. People pleasers will find ways to say, well, you know, it's, not a, it's a one-time deal maybe. I don't know. But Paul wouldn't have it. Peter, you're too important. You're, you're, you're an apostle. You can't, you can't for one second communicate that maybe we had it wrong. No. People pleasers will avoid things that are difficult as a result of the gospel. And again, that's what these false teachers were actually doing. They were the man pleasers. Look what he says in chapter 6, verse 12 about them. He says, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and here it is, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. They want their Jewish buddies to still love them. And they fear them. And they don't want to experience persecution. And so... They ask you to become like them, to be circumcised. I want to sit on this just a bit because it's, uh, it's critical. I said it's a virus we can all catch, right? I think the little people pleaser in all of us, and, and it, it comes and goes, right? It just There's moments. Uh, Dr. Todd Wilson, in his uh, commentary, says he contrasts people pleasers with servants of Christ. This is going to be hard, but I'm asking you to do this. Listen and, and see if you can hear yourself anywhere in there. People pleasers have an inordinate desire to please other people. Servants of Christ have an all-consuming passion to please God. People pleasers are motivated by the fear of man. That is, they hold people and their respect in awe. They're in awe of this person. Servants of Christ are inspired by the fear of God. They hold God in awe and his opinion in awe. People pleasers in the church he's talking pretend to serve God when they really intend to serve themselves. You see what I'm doing? You know how much? Servants of Christ serve God by meeting the needs of other people, not their own. 
Praise God for the many of you that minister so well to the Lethlers in this time. As they testified yesterday in the memorial service, people had never met. Here's an important statement, the final one. People pleasers are anxious for approval from others and distraught when they don't get it. Ouch. (laughs) Been there. (laughs) Servants of Christ simply love others and leave approval or disapproval to the judgment of God. He's the one. Let me read that one again, okay? Because <laughs> this was the one. This was, I mean, we battle this all the time. And, and Sherry and I have gotten to know, we talk about this, the post-preaching, you know, uh, the, uh, the ghost from sermons past. And I say, Sherry, he showed up Sunday night. <laughs> Didn't even wait for Monday. <laughs> you know, how could you be so stupid? Did you see the look on his face? They don't care. Yeah. So let me, let me read it again. People pleasers are anxious for approval from others and distraught when they don't get it. Servants of Christ simply love others and leave approval or disapproval to the judgment of God. Why? Because they've been set free, right? We are Christ freed men, Christ freed people. We serve others. They don't like it. They aren't thankful. They don't say anything. They don't call you. Whatever. I am serving God. <laughs> I hold him in awe. That's why I do what I do. Being anxious for the approval of others is a, is a deadly trap. In fact, Scripture says that, right? The fear of man is a snare, says Proverbs 29, 25, a snare or a trap, but those who trust in the Lord will be kept safe. Safe from that trap of being what? Trapped by being controlled by the opinions of other people, living for them rather than living for God, which is what it means to be free, you know? It's a damning, a damning trap, a spiritually damning trap because it keeps some from ever coming to Christ. Looking at it humanly speaking, right? Which is the only part we can really know about, right? Listen to these three examples. You don't need to turn there. I'll move through them quickly. John chapter 5, John chapter 5, 43 and 44. Actually, I'll begin reading above in 41. Jesus is speaking. He says, I do not receive glory from people. I'm not a man pleaser, says Jesus, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. Wow, how do you know we don't have the love of God within us? He says, well, I've come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Then he says it. How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Wow, yeah. How could you want to come to me when what matters to you is them, not God? And then in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a young man who was born blind. And the Pharisees, the leaders of the synagogue, they ask his parents, who healed them? And that who healed him, and that was their moment, right? 
Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, right? Who healed him? And what did they say? They don't say anything. They said, we're not sure. Why don't you talk to him? He's an adult. And then John says, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Messiah, the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. You know, staying in the club was more important than standing by the, the one who just healed their son born blind. Wow, you think of that. The power of man pleasing, the fear of man. And then lastly, here's one, John 12. You just listen again. John 12, uh, and 42 and, and following. It says, many even of the authorities believed in him. This was shallow faith. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it. So that they would not be put out of the synagogue. Then John just says it again. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Wow. Listen, let me say to you that this is a deadly trap. I think in all of those cases, this is, I don't have time to defend it and all that, but I think in all those cases what John is showing us is people that were this close but did not come to Christ in faith. Maybe later, but not, not in that context. right? And it was what? It was the fear of man that kept them out. It was the love of, of, of being appreciated. It was, be, it was the, the desire to fit in, to belong, to receive the praise and adulation of people more than God. Listen, let me say to you with all tenderness today, if you're here today or you've been coming to this church, you've been listening and you have been teetering on the edge, you've been listening what it means to be a Christian, you're understanding the gospel you're understanding and you're beginning to sense that you are indeed lost, that you're a sinner, that you will face the judgment of God and you have this sense in you that God is calling you to do what? That God is calling you to humble yourself and to rely upon him and place your faith in him, but, but, you're worried about your family. You're worried about your mom, what she'll think. You're worried about your job. You're worried about your coworkers. You're worried about what people will think. It's a trap. I want you to think further than the synagogue. I want you to think of what? Well, those of us who were here yesterday at the memorial service, I want you to think of your, of your death. Scripture says it's appointed for a man to die once and then comes judgment. Whose opinion is going to matter on that day? Whose opinion is going to make the difference on that day? I'll tell you right now who's God's. That's the one that matters. And so you can escape the judgment of God by humbling yourself today and, and, and from your heart, entrust yourself to Christ to believe that he died for your sins, was raised the third day, and let God deal with the future. Trust him. The fear of man's a trap. 
It's a damning trap for those who have yet to come to faith. And for Christians, it's a spiritually destructive trap because rather than living for Christ, we start living for the opinions and the praise of other people. And it just messes up our lives. We're talking about Christians, right? Who's Paul writing to? Christians, chapter five, stand firm, stand firm. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Therefore, don't let them put those chains back on you. And every time you submit to what will he think, what will she think, more than what does Christ say, they're putting chains on you. And you are living, living for the glory of man and not the glory of God. And it just, it'll, it'll, it'll bring a mess into your life. It just enslaves you. You live with this anxiety about what's he going to think? What's she going to think? What's the boss going to say? Rather than living like the free person and knowing God's in control. Tom Schreiner in his commentary says, what slavery we live under when we long for the good opinion of others. Yeah, it's slavery, isn't it? You know, sometimes... This is the cause of many a restless night, right? When you know a meeting's coming. <laughs> and you're thinking, am I going to please him or her? Or am I going to just say what God says? I know what God says. It's killing me. <laughs> but those you get to pray over at least, you know. I find like one of the struggles is the unexpected ones. You know, what are you reading there? Nothing. <laughs> I could have said the word of the living God. Nothing. They sneak up on us, beloved. How do I recognize if I'm anxious for the approval from others? Well, I think a lot of you already know that. (laughs) Because you're already nervous. But, you know, here's a little help. uh, Years ago, uh, Edward Welch wrote a book. It's called When People Are Big and God is Small. It's a helpful little book. I mean, it, it doesn't come at it with you know, uh, big theological depth per se. There's other books that have been written, but it's, it's helpful. And he, he has a series of questions. I'm not even going to read them all, okay? I'm just going to read a few questions as we finish our time. He says, Here, here's some questions to ask yourself. Are you overcommitted? A lot of the time. You just can't say no. You can't make decisions based on wisdom. You just, I can't. I don't want to hurt her feelings. Are you overcommitted? Or do you get into some things that are so above your head, your life's a mess because you just can't say no? In other words, overcommitted not in quantity, but overcommitted in quality. (laughs) He says, do you ever feel as if you might be exposed as an imposter? So you don't, you can't talk freely in a, community group about your own struggles because you're afraid that they'll think you're an imposter here because what you're not you're you're a slave to their opinions and not to Christ he said you're free do you often second guess decisions because of because of what others might think well that's a big one isn't it we're committed we're doing it hon yeah wait a minute what about (laughs) what if she hears about it and then you're rethinking it. 
You thought you made your decision on principle, but ah, not entirely on principle. Do you experience love hunger? Let me explain. An inordinate desire to be seen. I'm here. Hey, everybody, it's me. An inordinate desire to be seen, to be affirmed, to be congratulated, to be thanked, to be touched. FOMO, fear of missing out. Do you ever lie, especially, he says, you know, the little white lies that are really cover-ups because you're afraid of their opinion. Do other people make you angry or depressed? I can't believe he didn't say anything. It's the last time we ever do. He says, do some people even drive you crazy? He says, that may be the, those people may be the controlling center of your life. Why do they drive you crazy? When Almighty God says, all is well. <laughs> and eternity is yours. Yeah, I think that's enough, huh? <laughs> so what is the solution? The solution is what Paul is driving at here to the Galatian believers, right? You have to replace the man-pleasing with God-pleasing. You have to replace holding people and their opinions in awe with holding God and his opinions in awe. And what's his opinion? You're my child! <laughs> You're an heir with Christ. And so we live out of our standing, not towards it. We live out of our justification. Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. Have you believed God? Then it's been reckoned to you as righteousness. Praise God, huh? You're a child of God. You are justified, you see. And what about living for him and my struggles? You have been given the spirit of Christ. And so we make it our ambition to please God by the means that he's provided us. Not out of our own efforts, right? We said the central message in this book is two-pronged. What is it? There's only one way to be right with God, and that's through the cross of Christ. There's only one way to live right before God, and that's through the Spirit of Christ. And both of them are God's free gifts received by faith. Amen? And so it's always the battle to get back to the cross, which is what Paul is saying here to the Galatians. You live out of that reality, your identity, rather than towards it or trying to find it from others. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says this, whether, whether we are present here now, he's talking to about his life, the body, or we're absent. We make it our aim to please him. And the word there, aim, means a cherished, desire, a cherished desire or a lofty goal, not an achievement. <laughs> Paul
Paul is not saying that he has always pleased God every moment of his life since he was converted. But he is saying, here's the bent of my life. My cherished desire, though I know I will fail here and there, is to be pleasing to him out of gratitude, out of joy, out of the realization that I already belong to him. Let the love of God compel you. Let the joy of your salvation compel you. We're back at this again, but this time it comes with that warning. Are you a man pleaser? Or a God pleaser? Wherever it is you identify that you're struggling with being a people pleaser, ask God for the grace. He'll give it to you to set aside that inordinate desire and find your strength in him. Let's pray. Lord, what a joy to reflect again on what it means to be set free by the gospel. Oh, Lord, you know all our hearts. You know my heart. You know our struggles, Lord, in, with our desire to fit in, our desire to be appreciated, our desire to be recognized, our, our fear, Lord, of of losing out in some way in the eyes of others, Lord. It might affect our practical life, might affect our wealth, Lord. Help us to trust you and to seek your glory, your praise, and to do so resting in the fact, Lord, that this is not some ladder of merit, but it's living as your children. I pray, Lord, for those who are held captive even as Christians, by the opinions of others, that you would help them be set free. And I pray for those, Lord, who are still captive to their sin, who are captive to the opinions of others, that they, Lord, would receive your grace, that you would open their hearts and eyes and give them the strength, Lord, to confess Christ as Lord. Lord, receive now our gifts as we bring our offerings to you as expressions of our adoration for your grace and mercy to us in Christ, amen.